All right, we jump into today. Old Testament law reinterpreted. What a title. Ever since uh, Resurrection Day, when I talked about the significance of the resurrection, I pointed out four different things that changed after the resurrection of Jesus. And so one was the new creation, and that was last week's message. If you didn't hear that, you want to go back because that's very, very powerful. Today is about reinterpretation of the Old Testament. Uh, next week, it's going to be about the new exodus that we are in. And then finally, the uh, fourth message, or two weeks from now, is going to be on uh, Jesus is Lord of the world, not just King of the Jews. So that's where we're headed in this. These messages, I realize, are kind of theological in nature, and yet they're very, very important. They're, in fact, they're very foundational to our Christian walk. And, and some of what I'm preaching, you're like, wow, that's a, that's a lot of content, a lot of theology. But at the same time, if you miss these foundations, then you'll be building off a faulty foundation rather than a firm foundation. And so this is another firm foundation that we need to understand that after Jesus raised from the dead when he was resurrected, what changed? And one of those that changed was there's certain things that continued after the cross and there's certain practices that stopped. And we have to figure out what the difference is. Some continued, some stopped. And they, they um, oftentimes would uh, read passages in the Old Testament that were reinterpreted because of Jesus resurrecting from the dead. They're like, oh, that's what that means. They didn't know before. Maybe they uh, attributed it to something else or somebody else. But then after Jesus rose from the dead, they were like, oh, that's what that means. And so we need to realize that there's things that uh, we have happen in our lives that need reinterpreted at times. Our Bible's made up in two main sections. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, when we think about that, uh, we, we oftentimes say, well, the old is old. We don't, it's not uh, practical anymore. We can't learn from it anymore. That's just old. What we need to do is stay in the new because that's where it's at. I mean, Jesus rose from the dead. We need to hear from the Holy Spirit, and that's true. But the fact is that we can learn a lot about God in the, in the old as we do in the new. In fact, I would like to take those terms out testament and put in covenant and change the term from old to new to uh, former and then latter. The former covenant, that's the same terminology as the old covenant. Or the latter covenant, the one we're in, that's the new covenant. I'd like to change it to former and latter rather than old and new. We have a lot of things that are you know, a, a mix between the old and new today. For instance, how many of you still pay your bills with... Uh, um, check sometimes all right a lot, a lot of hands okay there's there there may be some pay their bills with cash but that's all right we'll keep your hands down on it how many pay your bills exclusively online all right a little bit more than the check okay but some of us when we evaluate that we would say the online is new and the checks are old really it's not necessarily the case the checks have been around a long time the fact is you pay your bills right and somebody said, if, you don't, if you're not sure that uh, anybody likes you, just stop. If you're not sure you're liked by people, stop paying your bills. And you'll find out. People start liking you. So we have things in our culture, like even uh, communication. We have, you know, we have 
uh, telephone. Landline is old, cell phone is new, right? Maybe one day we'll all get satellite phones, I don't know. We'll be talking to our watches now. That's new. You know, we got text, and, and somebody says, well, I wrote them a note. We say, well, that's old. You know, you need to get on socials and communicate through Messenger. That's new. We have the old and the new mixed together, and yet it's all about communication. We have this, this mixture that is happening uh, in, in like transportation. You know, we have, you can walk, you can bicycle, you can skateboard, you can uh, get a car, gas, or electric, you can get on a train, you can do horse and buggy, you can, uh, you know, uh, what else? Airplane, rockets. Maybe one day we'll do a rocket around the... So all are different modes of, con, of, uh, of transportation. Some we would consider old and then some are new. There are certain events that have happened in our world. I'll just go back a little bit. 9-11. When 9-11 took place, when the planes flew into the Twin Towers, airline security changed at that point. One person had explosive in their Air Jordans. I don't know what kind of shoes they had on, but... And now we take our shoes off to go through airline security. Just one person changed everything as a result of that event. COVID changed things, didn't it? I mean, it, it, it changed the way that we ate. Uh, Uber Eats and, and uh, DoorDash, that, they weren't around. I mean, they could have been around, but nobody used them until COVID. All of a sudden, that became an industry, probably million, billion-dollar industry of people delivering food. So certain things happened that then events changed, or practices changed after that. Working from home. Few people work from home. Now a lot of people work from home. Zoom. Boy, we never, you know, Zoom was like, uh, that was like, what? You got to do Zoom meeting? No, let's get face-to-face. Now it's very common. Where's Tammy at? Is she in? She's, oh, she must be with the kids. Um, so Tammy Carlson is in a, in a ministry, and she went on a mission trip with Zoom. She's like five different nations around the world did a whole week-long short-term mission trip on Zoom. Very effective. She was keeping me up to date. I was praying for her. All the things that were happening and it was all through Zoom. I'm like, wow, what is that? That's like, I, you know, I didn't even think that was possible before. But God's not limited. So we have the old and the new that is mixed together, and some of us like the old, some of us like the new, and yet uh, a point in, in sharing all this is that um, it's kind of a conglomeration that we deal with, and the old and the New Testament together is kind of a conglomeration, but we need to sort it out. The main thing that Jesus did when he came and rose from the dead is he upgraded the way that we relate to Father God. He upgraded. He took barriers out of the way. And he simplified the way that we relate to Father God today. And if we don't understand that in our life, we'll build our, our understanding of Christianity on the Old Testament rules rather than New Testament love. And so we have to recognize that. Well, let's jump in today. Number one, Jesus did not come to remove the law, but to fulfill it. He did not come to renew, remove the law. Some of us would like to think, oh, we don't follow law anymore. We're just into grace. Well, we're into grace but we still follow law. And I'll identify which ones here in a few moments. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purposes. In the Old Testament, it did not matter 
what kind of a heart attitude you had as long as you followed the rules. God actually lowered himself to excuse your attitude and whether or not you actually liked doing what you were doing as long as you did it out of obligation or out of duty, you were okay with God. But the fact is that's not the way it is in the New Testament. I think about Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah, if you ever read the book of Jonah, I mean, he didn't want to do what God called him to do. And God provided a fish, and the fish swallowed him up. Three days in the belly of a whale, vomited out on the beach. And he says, well, I guess I'll do what God wants me to do. Still didn't change his heart at all. He preached to Nineveh. The whole city got saved, and Jonah's mad about it. God, you, I knew you would do what you said you were going to do. I mean, you're like thinking, how in the world could God use somebody like that today? Probably not, because it's changed. He cares about our heart, not just the rule or, or commands that he gives to follow. And we'll, we'll figure that out. But it's kind of funny today how in the Old Testament, again, the, the, the attitude of the heart didn't matter as long as you followed the rules. But times have changed. Jesus uh, changed all that, and it's important to understand. I, uh, in seminary, I did a uh, crisis counseling course, and um, I don't remember a lot about that course, but I do remember this. And they said that when somebody is caught in doing something, and they're found out, and they go into counseling, it can take up to two years for their heart to change for them to actually want to change. But someone that confesses, not found out, their heart is in a different position. And because they, on their own, maybe under conviction of the Lord, confessed something, their heart is positioned differently, and they will make a whole lot quicker changes because of their heart positioned differently. All of us have probably experienced trying to change somebody that didn't want to be changed. <laughs> That's rough. In fact, I think it's impossible. You might get them to change for a week or two, and then they're back to the old ways because they don't want to change. And we've probably been like that in seasons of our life. We're just dug in against what God wants, and our heart is bent away from God rather than towards Him. But I thought that was interesting that two years, if they've been trapped or caught and found out before they actually turn around to say, I want this before they're kind of resisting it, maybe tolerating it, and then they say, I want it. So Jesus came that we would actually want to serve God and delight in that. In uh, the last chapter of Exodus, chapter 40, verses 34 and 35, there's a really interesting verse. It says, when the cloud covered, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. What we have here is that God actually coming down, filling the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, but Moses can't get into the presence of God because he's not holy enough. He's not righteous enough. Yes, Moses. God has come down, but Moses can't get in. He's prevented because he somehow broke something that hadn't been confessed, worked out. He's on, the, he's on the outside. He can't get in. The presence is there, but he can't enter it. Now we have the start of Numbers. Chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to this. It says, 
The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting. Now Moses got in. He's in the presence of God. He's in the tent of meeting. God's presence is there. He got in. What happened? At the end of Exodus, he couldn't get in. At the beginning of Numbers, he got in. What happened? The book of Leviticus took place. That's what happened. And the book of Leviticus is all about proper worship and proper ways that we treat one another. In fact, you can take the book of Leviticus and you can divide it into three different categories of laws. I have a little video to introduce it and then we'll look at each one here together. There you have the three different types of laws that are outlined in the book of Leviticus. You have the ceremonial law, you have the civil law, and you have the moral law. Let's look at each one and determine whether or not they need to be obeyed today. In the ceremonial law, we find that Jesus often broke these because they were kind of add-ons. For instance, uh, the Pharisees says, you didn't wash your hands before you ate. That was a ceremonial law in the Old Testament. And Jesus went ahead and ate without washing his hands. He was walking with his disciples through a field and they were hungry. And they began to take weed heads and and open them up and and begin to eat. And the Pharisee says, you can't do that on the Sabbath, you're working. That was a ceremonial law and Jesus broke it. They said, you can't can't interact with Gentiles, people of other faiths, you can't do that. Jesus broke it. He, he He would interact with Samaritans. He went outside of the Jewish boundaries and interacted with people even though that wasn't his focus he broke those ceremonial laws the lepers that had disease everybody would say stay away from them or you'll catch their disease Jesus didn't do that he went and healed the lepers he touched the lepers and as a result they got healed they said you can't touch dead people or you'll get maybe maybe they died of a disease that's still living don't touch dead people but Jesus went and laid hands on dead people and they came back to life So time and time again, Jesus broke ceremonial laws because they didn't apply to uh, what it meant to have a relationship with God. They may have been helpful and they may have been uh, for a purpose in a certain period of time, such as the Old Testament, but they really didn't apply to the new. What are some modern ceremonial laws that we have? Here's one, claiming that water baptism completes your salvation. There's some that believe that you're not fully saved unless you're water baptized. 
But that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture says you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, getting water baptized is a first step of obedience. It's a great thing to do. It, it publicizes and, and, and communicates your covenant with God. But it, it's not what saved you. It's Jesus, your faith in Him that saves you. Maybe here's a, a, another one that uh, some say, well, you must have communion every week. That would be a ceremonial law. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture, or, uh, scripture says, as often as you do this, remember me. So how often you do that? I grew up in a tradition. We had communion twice a year. That's just what we did. So we, we have it here uh, once a month. There's some traditions that have it every Sunday, and that's fine. I'm not, a, I'm not against having it often. Some do every day. People have communion every day in their homes, and that's fine. It, it, scripture just says, as often as you do it, how often you do it, remember me and understand what it means. Again, it's something ceremonial. Uh, here's another one. The evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is if you speak in tongues. That would be a Pentecostal ceremonial. See, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be witnesses of me. That's what it says. And so we have to understand these distinctions. Uh, I haven't heard this in a while, but growing up I heard some people that said that they wouldn't eat at a restaurant that serves alcohol. Well, their pickings would be pretty slim today. But again, that was just a ceremonial law that they wouldn't do. Some say you can't be involved in government or you will, uh, you will be compromised. Well, again, ceremonial law, that's not necessarily true. So ceremonial laws, again, they, they may be helpful for in a season or uh, in the Old Testament. They were probably necessary when they walked through the wilderness. But again, we get in our day, and they're not necessarily things that we need to hold to. Let's jump into civil laws. This is the second level, again, outlined in Leviticus and three different. These are principles remain, but the practices can fluctuate. The principles, in other words, our, our U.S. Constitution has a lot of Old Testament civil law written into it. That's why it's so valuable. That's why it's so life-giving if it would be honored and people would pay attention and understand what's in there. But there's a lot of civil law written into the U.S. Constitution. And when it works, it works great. And people are, it's, it's life-giving. And people from other nations that don't have constitutions like that want to come to our nation that does. It's because of the Old Testament law. That's, uh, I mean, civil law that is embedded into that. So there's good principles in civil law, but sometimes the practices may vary. In other words, like between states, you can have certain things, like there's certain drugs that are legal in certain states and not in others. There, there's a, abortion laws that are different in, now in certain states than others. Even motorcyclists, uh, there's some states you can ride your motorcycle without a helmet. And there's other states you have to have a helmet on. Again, the principle behind these laws, you have to look at whether or not they're God-honoring. Just because they're legal doesn't mean they're right. And that's why we make the mistake as Christians. Oh, it's legal in that state. Well, is it right? You've got to look at the reason behind why it's there. And sometimes it's not based upon God-honoring laws. It's just based upon man's understanding of what man wants to do. Then finally we get to the moral laws. Now in the moral law we find that Jesus held to strict obedience to the moral law. 
What is the moral law? Well, we could say the Ten Commandments is really a combination of moral and civil together because some of it had to do with our relationship with God and some of them have to do with our relationship with one another. That would be more in the civil law category. And Jesus, again, he, he, was, he, he always followed the moral law. He was very strict about that. He, was, he honored his father in that way. And so we're in the New Testament are called to do the same. He held to that uh, strict obedience because it was a matter of the heart. The moral law is a matter of the heart. Number two, Moses began with ten laws. The law is good because it lets us know what's right and what's wrong. Moses began with ten laws. It was actually expanded over time through the rabbis, through the teachings, to 613. And Jesus brought it back to two. Praise God for Jesus. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus brought it back to two. And if we practice those, we're in compliance with all the other 613, including the 10 that are written. He simplified it. Love the Lord your God comes right out of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, I believe. And love your neighbors yourself comes right out of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, or 18, verse 19. One of those two. Look it up. I think it's 19, verse 18. And so he brought these out of the Old Testament, and he said, this is the summary of what it means to be in relationship with me. Jesus brought obedience back to, heart, to love with your heart. Love with your heart. John 13, 34, he said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus was always reinterpreting Scripture for those that he taught. In the Sermon on the Mount, he started out a whole section there. And I think it's mostly in chapter 6. He said, You have heard it said... But I say unto you, you have heard it said, what was he doing? He was taking Old Testament teachings that the, the rabbis had taught that was off, and he brought it back online. This is what it means. This is what you should pay attention to. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. He updated, he reinterpreted Scripture for them out of the Old and brought it into the new. So we have to understand that what Jesus did after his resurrection, that he made serving God a delight. He made it a desire out of the love of our heart. And the fact is the law is only a safeguard or maybe a safety net to catch us if for some reason the enemy comes in and begins to distract us or begins to entice us in ways to think, think that God doesn't have our best interest in mind, he begins to then, oh, the world's having more fun than you're having fun, and he begins to pull us in different directions rather than stay focused. We have the law to catch us. But we operate above the law, so to speak, out of desire, out of love, and out of heart. 
That's what Jesus came to deposit upon us, his people, and ultimately his church. Paul speaks to the Galatians, and he said, you didn't start out this way. You started out loving God from the desire of your heart. Who cut in on you? What happened? In fact, he makes it really strong. He says, who bewitched you? Like somebody put a spell on them to cause them to go back into the law. Just following the law. Thinking that following the law would make them righteous. It doesn't. It helps to guide us. It shows us what's right or wrong. But only Jesus makes us righteous, as we'll find out here in a few moments. Number three. In fact, I'm there. Hallelujah. Jesus met the requirements of the law for us. And I, in parentheses, I have as us. Because he was a human being, just like you and I are. To become God's righteousness. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a profound statement. God made him who had no sin to become or to be treated as sin so that we as human beings might become righteous from the God-man. We might receive what he did on our behalf, but he was human, so he was as us, not just for us. It's very important to understand. Jesus set up for us a heart change. The opening um, passage that I read there in, in, uh, um, in Matthew where Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, later on, a couple of sentences down, he says, he was speaking to his followers, he said, unless, you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And they're like, what? I quit. But Jesus understood that the Pharisees, their only understanding was keep the law, be righteous. I can't keep the law, therefore I'm not righteous. And Jesus says, unless... Your righteousness surpasses that. It's based on faith. It's based on relationship. It's based on the fact of what Jesus did on the cross and rose from the dead. Not based upon whether or not you can keep the law. And that's what he meant. But they're, they're like thinking, I can't. Man, you're telling me I got to keep. I mean, the, the, the Pharisees were like with magnifying glasses. Uh, 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 uh. I mean, they're all the time catching people. And it was based upon the fact that they broke, therefore they can't be righteous. But that's not the New Testament that we live and enter into. And so as we look at these four ways that Jesus changed things, here we go. First of all, he made the ransom payment. In order for us to be right with God, remove the barriers between us and Father, and not make the law our righteousness, in order to do that, there had to be some ransom payment made. And Jesus did that when he died personally on the cross. You see, in the Old Testament, the people, when they sinned, they had to then make a sacrifice, which was an animal of different kinds, different sorts. They had to make a sacrifice. And so etched in their mind was, I committed this sin that is an abomination or maybe an offense before God. Therefore, some, something of my possession, my animal, needed to die. That was etched in their mind. I created a sense. Something needs to die. Therefore, I could be made right. 
And that was etched in their mind. And so in the same way, God sent Jesus as a, a, a ransom. He, he basically paid the price. He was the sacrifice for you and I. And so he paid this, this ransom payment that needed to be paid in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to, uh, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. A, a, a ransom is different than bail. You know, if you've, if you've ever been around people and you, you know, pay bail, whatever, they're still guilty. That, that just kind of lets them out of jail until they're, they're uh, you know, go to trial. But a ransom is different. A ransom is you're guilty and I'm given this money or I'm given this, and, and you can go free. You're, 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 you're not guilty anymore. That's what a ransom payment is. And that's what Jesus did. He paid the ransom for us so that we're free. We don't have to hang on the cross. We don't, not, we don't have to go out and get animals anymore because it's free. Second, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver, gold, that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Wow. Now, the second thing that Jesus did is he not only was a sacrifice, but he purified us from defilement. Now, how was that done in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, they took the animal, but then they also took the blood of the animal. And that is actually what symbolized purification. That the priest would take the blood, and as the people would gather, he would take the blood from the sacrificed animal, and he would throw it over the people, and those droplets that hit the people, they would be declared righteous because of the blood that would touch them. And that was how they got purified. And so when Jesus hung on the cross, the blood that was dripping down is actually purifying us. In, internal, our nature that was impure, he's purifying us by the blood that was, that was dripped down over his body, that he was beaten and bruised and ripped apart. His blood was actually purifying us at that moment, and that's what was going on. What, a, what a, an amazing, a horrible moment, but an amazing thing that he did. The priest would come in to the, uh, one, one time a year, they would have this day of atonement. That would be like the cross day. But one time a year, they would have where the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would carry blood. And it would be sprinkled all, all along. It, 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 and the, the reason he, they had the day of atonement, it, Scripture actually says, it's because of people's sins of ignorance. They didn't even know they were sinning. And that they were offending God. But yet on that day, they were absolved for one full year. It would be like, then they would start again. It would, it would be like uh, in your living room that uh, you came in and it was all clean. And then for one full year, you just put garbage in it. You know, you just emptied the garbage can. You emptied the, the you know, whatever. You just filled it up full of garbage. Filled it up full of garbage. And it's just, well, you put your garbage. And then once a year... The garbage man would come in, and the cleaning lady, and they would, the garbage lady and the cleaning man, is that better? Whatever. They come in, and they would, they would clean your living room and make it spotless. That would be like the, the atonement day. All this garbage that would built up, they didn't, even, they didn't even know. 
But God says, I'll take care of that. And on that day of atonement, they were absolved for a full year. But Jesus said, I want to absolve you for life. That's what he did on the cross. What, a, what an amazing God that we serve. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Wow. Hebrews 9.14 and 15, how much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death. You see, in the Old Testament, their conscience could never be clean. They could never get free of the guilt of something they did. It would always linger. But in the New Testament, because Jesus rose from the dead, the blood he shared, your conscience can be clean. Wow. That's deep stuff. So that we may serve a living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now. For he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The third thing that happens in Jesus' death and resurrection is he empowered us into complete repentance. He empowered us into complete repentance. You see, this happens today through heart confession. That's what God intended. No longer do we have to sacrifice an animal to confess or to keep some law to confess, but we actually go to God whenever and say, God, I've messed up. God, I, I, I've, I've sinned against you. God, I've sinned against Maybe, maybe we did somebody uh, something to somebody else. And so the sacrifice that we have right now is our confession. If you confess your sins, uh, if you, uh, uh, um, Romans 10, 9, and 10, I'll get it here in a minute. If you, if you confess uh, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So our confession is our sacrifice. And as a result of that, we're free. We're, we, that's our repentance. Then we walk in that freedom. And Jesus said, my blood cleansed you, so your conscience is free. And you say, you no, no longer have to lay down a sacrifice. Uh, you're, you're, you're free. Wow, it's amazing. True repentance is you essentially, you see what God shows you and you say it to him. You agree with him. That's repentance. You agree with him. That's wrong. This is right. I want to walk in blessing and favor and honor and power. Okay, then pay attention to these moral laws. But above that, love me, desire me, enjoy me, be with me, follow me. So today it's a simple conversation. It may be only to God or it may be to some another person. Scripture says, confess to the Lord and he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And another time he says, confess your sins to one to another that you may be healed. It's both directions. You have to figure out what God is saying and then be obedient. And then what about the unintentional things in the New Testament? Well, First John tells us, my dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ Christ the righteous one. He is the atoning 
sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Did you catch the language there? He is the atoning, I-N-G, constant. He is, his blood is constantly working on our behalf. There's never a gap in it. There's never a moment. Wow, that's good news. Hebrews 13, 11 and 12 says, And so Jesus suffered outside the city gates to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, becoming the disgrace he bore. See, Jesus wasn't crucified in the city. He was crucified on the outside of the city. What happened in the Day of Atonement, they had two goats. They had one they sacrificed, and the other was called a scapegoat. And they laid their hands on the scapegoat, and they sent him out into the wilderness. And they said, you're carrying the sins out of here. And so Jesus exemplified that when he was died outside of the city, not in the city. He was the scapegoat that then took our sins out into nothingness. An example of that. The final thing is this, that he established continual covenant relationship. When he rose from the dead, he established for us continual covenant relationship. No longer do we have to have a broken relationship with God. Even the times that we sin doesn't need to have a broken relationship with God. Because he says, I want you to come into my presence and then we'll figure things out. You don't have to obey the law to get into my presence like Moses did. We have Jesus now that says, come into my presence and then we'll clear things up. But you can't, if you, if you think, well, I have to get my life straightened out before I can accept Jesus, that's Old Testament thinking. We need to be updated to say, no, I come to Jesus, and then he gets my life figured out. And we do it together with his power and not on my own. If you do it the old way, you're doing it on your own power. You get into God's presence, you're doing it on his power. There's a world of difference. The Day of Atonement, again, where Israel was cleansed of their unintentional Sins. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you yourselves is God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. God doesn't just dwell in buildings. I know he comes when we are together worshiping him, but he dwells in our bodies. That's the that's the, the beauty, that's the reality, that's the mystery, that's the value. Now, we in our bodies become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10, 1 through 7, The law is only a shadow of the good things to come that are coming, not the, not the realities themselves. So the law was a reality of the good thing that was coming, not in itself. We have to understand the law is pointing to something else, someone else. And so it says here, for this reason, it cannot uh, never be uh, the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near and worship. So the Old Testament way can never make us perfect. It's impossible. Otherwise, they would have not stopped being offered. In other words, sacrifices would continue today, but they stopped. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder. 
It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you did not deserve, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. There it is. That's what Jesus did. He just presented himself, his will, to God. And as a result of that, made him righteous. So where does that leave us? It leaves us at the fact that religion wants to keep us trapped in believing that we have to follow the law to become acceptable or righteous. That's what religion does. But relationship says, I love you. Receive my forgiveness. Honor my laws because they are a blessing to you. But following the law does not make you righteous enough to come into my presence. You come into my presence simply because you believe, as the children sang this morning. You believe that Jesus is your Lord. And he invites you to say, now you're family. Let's get together and work this out. Let's figure it out. Seek me. And so as a result of that, that's what Jesus did when he rose from the dead. He removed those barriers so that we could just walk right into the presence of God and say, God, let's talk. Let's figure this out. Let's figure out this financial problem. Let's figure out this marriage problem. Let's figure out this healing problem. Let's figure out this, this calling problem. Let's figure out this gifting problem. Let's figure out this you know, uh, issue at work with my coworker problem. Let's figure out my car problem. Let's figure out, he says, come into my presence and let's figure it out together. That's what Jesus did when he raised from the dead. That we actually follow him out of desire, not out of duty. That we actually delight to be in his presence, not out of obligation. What a difference it made. And yet so many times people are trapped in a religious mindset that they have to, again, follow rules and regulations, some even ceremonial, and some are civil, that, that maybe they're following the practices, but they don't know the principle behind it. And maybe they're just rejecting all law to say, I don't need to follow anything because I'm free. That's not what Jesus taught. He said, I, taught, I came to fulfill the law, not to remove it. And so the law catches us. Again, sometimes when we get out of grace and reminds us, that that's not the way he called us to live. He called us to live out of love, out of relationship, out of our heart. And of course, our actions matter and our attitude matters as well. But that's not the forefront. The forefront is simply believe in faith and come into his presence and then figure out life from there. What an amazing way to live.